with it this uh, morning. We're going to, well, we've got two weeks left in our little summer series that we've been do, uh, doing, uh, Oh, the Places We'll Go. And uh, we, um, we've been using this Dr. Seuss theme, um, being the theologian that he was. And uh, several times this summer, we've read to you the sort of the basic theme that Dr. Seuss had. And it is, um, uh, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself any direction you choose. Oh, the places you'll go, except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. Uh, and isn't that the truth for us, that, uh, that no matter what, sometimes we just don't want to go. Uh, and, and that the series that we've been talking about, Oh, the Places We'll Go, is that when we find ourselves in places that we never thought that we would be, we find ourselves in situations and in places that we never thought that we would go, and how do we respond in those times? And this morning, I want to talk to you about um, one place that we're uh, Hopefully, we're all going to go because there's one experience that no matter who we are, uh, we're all going to share, and uh, and that is that that someday we're all going to pass, uh, someday we're all going to die, that we all have an expiration date on us, and uh, we don't know necessarily when that is, but uh, it's a truth that that as a culture we spend so much money and energy trying to avoid uh, we spend so much time uh, and effort trying not to think about it not to talk about it not to deal with it but it's something that we all have in common and and as i was reflecting on this um, idea that it's sort of the last place that we'll go is heaven and uh, it's been a, a really um uh, part of our lives this year. Uh, so many of you know that uh, my mom passed away in December and uh, uh, she was a saint. She was uh, prayed for you guys and cared for you and hugged you. And um, then my sister had moved out to help take care of my mom. She was diagnosed with cancer and she died in April then. And, and then Jenna's uh, brother-in-law passed away after that. And, and uh, so, you know, so often in our lives, as pastors, you know, we walk with people through these times, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves just overwhelmed um, by uh, death and overwhelmed by the passage of people and the pain. Uh, and, and so just so we're clear, um, it isn't easier for me than it is for you um, facing these, but here's what we have. Uh, we, we believe in heaven. And this Sunday and next Sunday, we're gonna talk about heaven. Now, that conjures all kinds of pictures in your mind, and so I'm gonna disappoint some of you today because we're not gonna talk about pearly gates and streets of gold. We're gonna talk about that next week. We're gonna look at Revelation 21 next Sunday. But this Sunday, I, I wanna set uh, a basis for us in how we talk about heaven, how we think about heaven. So there's three things, spoiler alert, there's three things that we're gonna talk about this morning. The first one is uh, what we know for sure, the second thing is how it happens, and the third is what we get. Uh, so how, what we know for sure, how it happens, and, and what we get, and we're gonna do that uh, from looking at John, the 14th chapter, and what did Jesus tell us about death? What did he tell us about life? What did Jesus teach us um, about heaven? So uh, let's pray one more time uh, for me as we, uh, as we start this. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, the opportunity to continue our worship through your word. Lord, this is is a time that we focus on you through your word, and we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds. I I ask, Lord, that you would just strip away any preconceived ideas, strip away anything that might keep us from listening to you today, and that, Lord, uh, would not be my words today, but you would speak and you would touch our hearts through your word, through your scripture. And, Lord, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. John 14, verses 1 to 7 say this, Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, We do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So the very first thing that Jesus says to his disciples is, let not your hearts be troubled. Uh, The disciples are overwhelmed by everything that Jesus is telling them. They're in the upper room. Jesus has been trying to explain to to them that it's necessary uh, that he's going to be betrayed, that that he's going to be beaten, that he's going to die, that he's going to be crucified. And and he's telling them all these things. And and he says, you know, just for a little while, where I'm going, you can't follow. And then, of course, in chapter 13 of John, Peter says, no, I want to go with you, Lord. Peter, God bless him, right? He's always the one stepping out there. He's always the one, speak first, think later. Peter says, Lord, I'm going to be with you. I'll do this. And Jesus says, Peter, let me just explain this to you, that you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows again. And so if the disciples aren't afraid before, if they're not concerned before, they're really concerned now. They're really frightened now. They're really confused now because this is going against what they were really hoping for. This is going against what they were expecting to happen. And now Jesus is telling them, he's explaining to them what's about to take place. And and it seems to me to be reasonable that they're a little bit afraid. They're a little bit troubled. And so Jesus says, stop being troubled but focus on something else focus on something different you know the whole culture government existence is built on their belief in God and now Jesus says to them believe in me with the same conviction and the same urgency that you believe in the father he, he says, you believe in God, now believe in me. He's not saying that if you believe in God, believe in me too. But what Jesus is saying is that if you believe in God, then you have to believe in me. Because I and the Father are one. He says in verse 7, he says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For from now on you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says it's because it's me. I'm a visible expression of the invisible Father of the invisible God. If you've seen me, you've seen Father. In fact, John 10, 30, Jesus says exactly that. He says, I and the Father are one. Jesus is telling his disciples, you know the Father. So now believe. I and the Father are one. Believe in me with the same urgency. Let that trouble be, let that trouble be replaced by your belief 
and who I am and what I'm about to do. And then Jesus goes on to say that in my Father's house are, are many rooms. And in my Father's house, Jesus is clearly referring to heaven. And he says, there are many rooms. Now, in the King James, it said mansions. I kind of like mansions. I like the idea, you know, that there are many mansions. But probably the best translation that I can, can come up with is that there are, in my Father's house, are many permanent residences, dwelling places, that where you're going to live. And here's why I think this is really important, because when we get into whole, the whole idea of mansions and what's my place going to look like, and, and of course, what's my place going to look like compared to your place? Uh, am I going to have a bigger mansion than you have? Are you going to have a bigger mansion than me? Am I going to be a little jealous because you got a better house? All, you know, we, start, we get into all of that stuff, and Jesus says, that's not what I want you to pay attention to. But there's a couple of things that are important to know. And here's, here's one of my little theories, okay, about the, these rooms, these dwelling places. Permanent dwelling places will be with Christ. But my grandparents, my grandparents never sat in their backyards. They always sat on the front porch. Think about this for just a second. Prior to World War II, everybody did, but my grandparents, even after that, as I was growing up, what I remember is that there were always chairs on the front porch, and they sat on the front porch, and they, uh, they watched the world, and they greeted their neighbors, and talked to people as they came by, and they caught up on the news, and they had this relationship with their community, whereas now, we'll, you know, we pretty much hide in our backyards. And so here's what I, this is the only visual I'll give you this morning on our, our rooms. I think they all have front porches. And I think that we're going to sit on our front porch and we're going to greet people that come by. And maybe we'll invite the Apostle Paul to sit for a little bit and talk. Or uh, maybe, maybe somebody else, you know. Uh, maybe just somebody, you know, maybe a grandfather or a relative or somebody that will come and sit and we'll greet people as they come by and we'll sit on the front porch together. But what Jesus has promised us, what Jesus has told us is that there are permanent residences for us. And here's what's really important. Here's the part that Jesus says that I, I don't want any of us to, to miss this morning. Jesus said in verse three, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So here's one thing that we know for sure. It is that heaven is where we are with Jesus. That Jesus says, I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to take you to the place that you will be with me, that you'll be with me for eternity, that, you'll always, that we'll always be together, that you'll be in my presence. So see, Jesus isn't saying, you know, I don't want you to get stopped by how big your mansion is. I don't want you to get hung up by how, what it's going to look like and all of those things. Here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I want you to know for sure. Here's what I want you to think about when you think about heaven. It's that heaven is where I am, and you'll be with me. That's what really matters, right? If it's a tent, if it's a palace, it doesn't really matter. What really matters is that we're with the God of the universe, that we're with Christ, the one who gave himself for us, the one who died on a cross and rose again, that we spend eternity in his presence, in relationship with him, in intimacy with Christ. That's what really matters, and that's what we think about. That's what we have to hold on to. That's where our great hope is. It's in Jesus and here's a promise that Jesus makes, that where he is, we are going, and we're going to be with him for eternity.
So why am I so sure of this? Why do I believe this? Why does this give, it should give us such great hope? It's very simple, it's, it's, it's very profound, it's really one thing and it's the resurrection. That all of heaven and all of what we believe is built on the truth uh, of the resurrection. That Christ died on a cross, that he rose again. Uh, all of this eternity, heaven, our place with Jesus, it's all part of the truth of the resurrection. And, and so this morning, I just want to give you four little quick reminders of why we believe in the resurrection. Uh, we, you know, maybe we'll go into detail on Easter or something, but today I want to give you four little reminders of why we believe in the resurrection. And here's the very first one, is that the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. No one ever produced a, a body and said, here he is, now stop all this resurrection nonsense. We found him. We've discovered where Jesus was buried. He's really gone. But the tomb was empty. It was never discovered. There was never any doubt that Jesus was not in the tomb. And there was no explanation for it. There was no way that the, the religious leaders or the authorities could hide it, that the tomb was empty. And either someone removed the body, which means the women and the disciples lied or were mistaken, or God raised Jesus from the dead. But the tomb was empty. And there wasn't a time in history where, where the disciples sort of wandered to one place and, and maybe prayed and gathered around that maybe that was a place because there was no place for the disciples to go to, to try to remember Jesus because he wasn't there. He had risen. He was alive. And... Um, some people claim that they had encountered Jesus after his death, and John, the apostle who's writing this, was one of those people that he had seen Jesus. Now, here's the, the second thing. Uh, just as a quick reminder, there's no evidence that the post-resurrection witnesses had any opportunity to, to make up a story that Jesus was appearing, that Jesus appeared to his disciples. He appeared to the women first. He, um, Paul says he appeared to over 500 people at one time, and there was never a point, there was never a time that they could have all gotten together and said, let's make up a story, let's make sure we get our story straight, let's get the word out that this is what we're gonna tell everybody. And so uh, there, it, it, it was, people were sharing what they experienced and what they saw, and we were getting all this information that Christ had risen, and it was, it wasn't, there was no chance for people to get together and say, let's make sure we get our story straight. Let's all have it together. And so that brings us to the third thing, that the, the New Testament doesn't record an ordered story or a sequential storyline. Instead, it's sort of a scrapbook of people's experiences and what people see, saw. And if you go to the Gospels and you read the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, you, you see that people were seeing it from their perspective. They were seeing it in their time. And so their stories were a little different. And they never got together and said, wow, let's compare these. But they said, here's what I saw. Here's what happened to me on that day and I was here at this time and I was here at this time and I saw Jesus and I saw an angel and I saw the tomb was empty and all of those stories and if you wanted to make up a story you would have done better than that you would have gotten the disciples together and made sure that they all said the same thing and that brings us to the fourth thing if you were going to make up a story about the resurrection you wouldn't have started it with women sorry ladies but most women in that day weren't even allowed to testify in court 
uh, that they didn't have those rights, they didn't have those privileges. And so if you're going to fabricate a story, if you're going to make something up, then you would have found some leading person, some reputable person that Jesus would have appeared to first and got the whole thing rolling. And then maybe the women would have found out down the road someplace. But what really happened is that the women came that morning to, to finish the burial process. And when they got to the tomb, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty and they ran back to the disciples and told them what they had seen and heard. And then the disciples showed up. But you wouldn't, just wouldn't have made it up that way. You wouldn't have told that story that way. So here's the truth that for 2,000 years, skeptics and cynics have been trying to disprove the resurrection and we are still here that we still believe that the proof is overwhelming that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and everything that we know about heaven, all of the promises that God has made, uh, they all hinge on the truth of the resurrection that Jesus Christ rose. Scott McKnight, a theologian, says that Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. And if the resurrection teaches us anything, It teaches us that death will not have the final word and that life, eternal life with God in heaven is the final word. So the first thing that we said is how we know it's true. And the second thing that we're gonna talk about is how it happens. And in verse six, Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way, it's through faith in him and in the resurrection that we get heaven. Jesus says, you wanna know how to get to heaven? You get there through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the pathway to heaven. Now people over the centuries have struggled with this because they've thought, well, how is Jesus the only way? Is that, is that even fair? And let me just say this to you this morning, that the God who loves us, the God who sent his son, uh, the God who allowed his son to be crucified on the cross, he isn't surprised by any of those questions. And I may not have perfect answers for him, but he does. And someday we'll know that because God will reveal all things to us in his time. But he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and we're accountable for what we know, and we know this to be the truth. That the resurrected Jesus said, the way to heaven is through me. He continues, uh, Philip says to him in verse eight, Lord, show us the Father, and, it's an, and that's enough for us. And Jesus said, have I, been with you so, uh, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I and the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. So Jesus is saying this to Philip. He's saying, Philip, I'm telling you all of this is true. All of this is real. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, but if you still have a question, then look at what's happened. 
Look at blind Bartimaeus. Look at the leper that came to us one day and I touched him and he was cleansed. Uh, look at the man who was deaf and, and now he can hear. Uh, look, look at the little girl who had died and I brought her back. Look at all of the signs. Look at all of the ways that I've shown you my power and who I am and that I've come from the Father. Look at the miracles. Look at the signs that I've given you and know that I am in the Father and the Father is in me and this is true. This is who I am. So look. Look at what's happened around you. Jesus gives them a gentle rebuke because they've been with him the whole time and they're still having a hard time grasping who he is. Belief is critical. We always have to ask the question, who do we believe? What do we believe in? And Jesus is telling Philip and his disciples that it's not belief in concepts, but it's belief in a person. It's not belief in religion, but it's a relationship with Jesus. Verse 12, he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So Jesus not only challenges them, Jesus not only tells them about who he is, but he tells them what that means. He says, if you believe in me, if you understand who you are in me, then you're going to go out and you're going to do great things. And as we read the book of Acts and as we see how God moved in the early church, we see that, that the word of God, that the truth of who he was went way beyond Galilee. It went way beyond Israel, that they turned the whole world upside down. And Jesus' promise to his disciples was true. So what we know for sure, how it happens, and then finally, what we get. You know, we've already discovered several things that we get with heaven through the resurrection. We get Jesus face to face for eternity. We're with him. Uh, the, the most important, the most valuable, the most real thing that we can imagine, we get Jesus we get a place, a real place, a permanent place that we live with Jesus. But in, in his incredible love for us, Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, but there's three things that I want you to know you get now. There's three more things that I want to tell you that you're going to get now. So in the meantime, between now and that time that you're with me in heaven, there's three other things that I want you to know that you get. And we're gonna look at those really quick. So think about this, that he goes to prepare a place for us, that where he is, we'll be with him. It's all true, it all pivots on the truth of the resurrection. And now he's saying, now as you're on that journey to the, your final place, as you're on that journey to be with me in heaven, there are three other things. There's three things that I want you to know that you get. And here's the first one in, in John 14. 18 to 20, he says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoa. Earlier, Jesus had said, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. And now Jesus says, here's what I want you to know, that, that, that because of who I am, 
Because of believing in me, I'm in the Father, the Father is in me, and I want you to know that I am in you. That here's what Jesus tells us that we get, that we get a permanent relationship, we get Christ in us, the glory of Christ, the resurrected Christ, the spirit of the great one, the spirit of the creator, he says, is going to dwell in you, that I am going to make my dwelling place in you, I'm gonna transform you, I'm gonna change you from the inside out, so here's the first thing that I want you to know that you get right now and that is intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy with Christ because Christ is in us. Boy, we don't always feel all that intimate with Jesus, do we? Sometimes we need to go back to the very basic things. We need to be reminded of the truth of the resurrection, that what Jesus said is true, that he gave himself up for us, that in spite of all of our failings, it's one of the things I love about the disciples, you know, the disciples kept getting it mixed up, the disciples kept getting it wrong, uh, Peter kept making mistakes, they, they were all failing and Jesus stayed with them and Jesus made them his promise. He said, look, as I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, I'm going to be in you, that's what you're gonna get. And that's what's going to carry you through this time between now and when you're with me in heaven. You have intimacy. You have an intimate relationship with me. The second thing that Jesus told them that they got, in verse 25, he says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus is not only do you have an intimate relationship with me, but I'm gonna send my spirit. My spirit is gonna fill your life and your heart. My spirit is gonna bring you comfort and strength. My spirit is gonna convict you and instruct you and guide you and be with you that I am sending my spirit to live in you. The promise of Jesus, that he says, I'm not leaving you as orphans, but I'm coming and I'm gonna fill you with my spirit. So we know that we get that. We know that the resurrected spirit of Jesus Christ dwells in us. And we should have great hope. We should have great encouragement because Christ lives in us through his spirit. And finally, Jesus says, I'm gonna give you peace. Not the peace that the world offers, but much, much more. It's a peace that comes from knowing the resurrected Jesus and knowing that all of this is true and right and it will come to pass because Christ promises. In verse 27, he says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Our peace is built on the resurrection of Jesus. And so he says, there's three things that I'm gonna give you between now and then. I'm gonna give you an intimate relationship with me. I'm gonna give you my Holy Spirit. I'm gonna give you those two things and then I'm going to give you peace. And peace here isn't the absence of war, it's not the absence of struggle, but it's a wholeness. It's a completeness that comes from knowing Christ. 
He says, I'm going to fill your heart and your mind. I'm going to give you a hope that in the middle of the most troubling time in your life, in the middle of the, the, the greatest loss, in the middle of the most serious trouble that you've ever been in, he says, I'm going to fill you with something that you won't understand. It's a peace that you can't get from anything else. You can't get it from the world. You can't get it from a drug. You can't get it from your checkbook, but it can only come from me. It's the peace of knowing the resurrected Christ. It comes from having a hope that's bigger than our life. It comes from having a hope that's bigger than any circumstances that we can face. Because here's what we know. We know that through the resurrection, Jesus has promised us that at the end of all time, at the end of everything else, no matter what happens in our lives, no matter how wonderful it is or how sad it is or how painful it is or how joyful it is, that the end, that nothing can compare to what's at the end when we're in the presence of Jesus. And he has promised us that and he has sealed it by his resurrection. He's made it true by his resurrection and we can hold on to that so that we know how this story ends. We know how it's going to finish. My grandmother was uh, very poor and because uh, uh, my, my grandfather had a great job, but he, he had this really nasty habit of drinking their paycheck. And uh, uh, so they were very poor but there were two things that would, my grandma would cry every time we talked to her. Uh, one was when she talked about Jesus, she'd just cry. She'd pray, she'd talk about Jesus, she'd just cry. And, and the second thing was when she talked about heaven, and they talked about heaven a lot. Because you see, she didn't have anything here, but she was holding on to this truth, and she's, She's my grandmother, so she was always right. But she would talk about the pearly gates and the streets of gold and, and the, you know, all of the milk and honey and all the stuff that would, all the pictures that you'd have of heaven. And, and so for her, it was like really, okay, yeah, things aren't that good right now. I'm 60, in my 60s and I'm working at a Dairy Queen so I can have a little bit of money. But you know what? Someday I'm gonna, I'm gonna be living in a mansion and I'm gonna be walking on streets of gold and I'm gonna be with Jesus. And she would start to cry when she would talk about that because her world was way bigger than what was happening right in front of her, that her world was attached to heaven because of who Jesus Jesus was and because of his resurrection she wasn't bound by those circumstances around her she wasn't defined by those circumstances she was a rich woman because she knew how it was all going to finish and she had hope and faith in who Jesus was not in changing her circumstances but in what Christ had already done and somehow we need to change how we think because we have bought into a culture that says that we're supposed to create heaven on earth right that we're supposed to end all sadness, we're supposed to end all poverty, we're supposed to end all the hard things in our lives and, and we work so hard at all of those and, and a lot of those things are good for us to work at and to serve people and to help but the truth is that reason that we have hope is because in the resurrection of Jesus Christ we have a promise of eternity, we have a promise of heaven that we know where we're gonna go, we know how it's gonna finish so we have looked at what we know for sure and how it happens and what we get. And so here's the last picture I want to give you this morning. It's not unusual to be at our house and to look on our refrigerator and, and see an ultrasound, see a black and white grainy picture of uh, a, an embryo, a baby, 
being formed. And, and so our kids, uh, we've done this seven times, uh, our kids, when they get pregnant, they have the picture and they send us a copy of it and we put it on our refrigerator and we watch that baby. And for nine months, we're staring at that picture and sometimes we take it down and we turn it around and we look and we try to get an idea of, of what this little guy or this little girl's gonna look like and, and what their, her name is gonna be and, and how we're gonna get to know him or her and, and all of the things that are gonna happen and what, how, what fun it's gonna be. And we have this little grainy picture of this forming baby uh, inside her mom and we just love that picture already. We love that baby already ready but then the baby comes and it's so much better that she's so much more beautiful and you know it's weird is that we just we don't look at that picture anymore we don't need that grainy black and white picture in our refrigerator because we've seen the real thing we've held that baby in our arms and She's so beautiful and so perfect and that picture just can't even come close to how beautiful that is. And you see, the pictures that we have of heaven right now and of Jesus is really like looking at one of those ultrasound pictures. That the very best picture we get is black and white and grainy and we look at it the very best we can and we turn it and we try to focus on it. We try to guess what you know, it's gonna be like and what's gonna happen. But when we get to heaven, when we're with Jesus, it's gonna be in spectacular color and so real and so much more beautiful than anything that we can imagine. That's what Christ has promised us. That's what we have to look forward to because of who Jesus is, because of his resurrection. That's the kind of hope that we carry with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. and Thank you, Lord, for this picture that you give us of what it's like to be with you. Lord, help us to understand a little bit more this morning that the real goal is to be face-to-face with you, to be in your presence, to be in a physical presence with the Christ who loves us, who gave himself for us, Lord, for you. Uh, Help us, Lord, to understand that our hope is built on the resurrection. It's built on who you are, Lord, and that we of all people in this world should be the most joyous, the most hopeful, the most grateful because of you because of what you've done. So Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise this morning. We ask all of these things in in Jesus' name. Amen. The band's gonna play for a second and um, while they do, I just want to give you two questions to, to think about for a minute this morning as we're closing up. And the first one is, what is your peace built on? The first question this morning is, what is your peace built on. And and the second question I'd like you to maybe think about is, if you're not experiencing peace this morning, why? What what have you left out? What do you need to do? If you're not experiencing that peace that God promises this morning, why?